Hello, and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thank you so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and generally the use of sound for health and wellness. Today, our guest is Jeremy Arndt, who I met at the Isthmus Handpan Convention in Madison, Wisconsin. And not only did I think it was time that we start discussing the handpan and, and, and talk about it in a podcast episode, but I really enjoyed his intuitive style, his performance, and I really resonated with his teaching style as well. So initially we discuss his background in this conversation. We talk about his life as a street performer, a street musician and traveling and initially through the guitar. And then he brought in the didgeridoo and then the handpan came into his awareness and he was really drawn to that instrument. And at the time it was pretty unique. Not too many people knew about the handpan. There wasn't trainings or anything. So it was really an exploration uh, and using in his intuition, playing that instrument. We talk about his travels and influences studying in different cultures as well. One highlight is his time in West Africa, where he learned West African blues guitar and how that's been influential to him. And then we talk about his partnership and collaboration with Nancy and which they incorporate yoga, mindfulness and sound and their project is Settle into Stillness. And again, at the time when they began uh, working together uh, sound baths, sa sound meditations weren't as prominent as they are now. So we talk about the development of that and also his current projects. I'm really excited that at the end of this episode, you get to listen to the title track off his new album, Distant Vistas. Beautiful. I really hope you enjoy listening to that. So we discuss his projects and upcoming things for him. And it's just really a wonderful conversation about following your heart, following your dreams and not letting anything detour you that if you follow your passion, follow your path, things will work out. And that's truly the case for Jeremy. So it was just really a joy to speak with him. This podcast is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa located in Sarasota, Florida, and online at theomshop.com. The Ohm Shop is the country's largest showroom of vibrational tools. So if you're looking to up-level your sound healing toolkit, they can assist you to find that tool, find what you're in need of. They also have trainings, workshops, and a lot of resources, as well as their luxury spa there in Florida, and they can help you at theomshop.com. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop and Spa for their support and sponsorship of this podcast. Also, listeners, I really appreciate your support. And if you can like, subscribe, review, all the things, that just helps promote and bring more awareness to all these perspectives and conversations and really this archive of um, amazing conversations this podcast has. So thank you so much to your support as well. Please enjoy this episode with Jeremy Arndt. All right. All right. Thanks, Jeremy, so much for joining the podcast. It was so great to meet you in person and, and hear you play in Madison. And I just um, really loved your approach that I thought it would be great to have your perspective um, as a musician and, um, uh, you know, kind of mindfulness and, and yoga practitioner. So thanks for being here, first of all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. And so I like to kind of go into background first, backstory a little bit. And so as much as you can and what comes to mind um, about what got you to where you are. So maybe you were a musician as a child or those things that sparked you. Um, into your main instruments that you play and of course yoga and mindfulness yeah. what what got you here um well I guess to start off I started playing music late in life so I'm not a lifelong musician and um 
although now we're approaching the point that I've probably pr probably pretty close that I've played music longer than I haven't just because I'm getting older but um, I started playing music in college uh, as something fun to do and my roommate had started to play bass guitar and he was having a really good time with it and so I picked up a uh, acoustic guitar there was a, a Dave Matthews band song that I wanted to learn and I still never learned that song to this day, um, but I sort of like struggled along with the guitar for two, three years. And then at some point something clicked where I could create my own music with the guitar with all these tools that I had put together um, from the bits of songs I was learning. And that feeling of being able to create music um, from wherever it comes from inside of me or beyond me um was just a, a really amazing feeling and it took over um my life really so that was where it all started and you know at that time i just played guitar i didn't even know that the handpan existed which is my main instrument now um i didn't really know about the didgeridoo um i didn't know i mean none of this here was in my my consciousness so it really was just a growth from uh, the guitar and when I was in college, I started to like go through like that, you know, thought of like, what do I want to do after college? You know, everybody wants to know what job you're going to get or, and I had found a book called Vagabonding um, that was about traveling the world on a shoestring budget. And so I had this passion for music and I, I always had a desire to travel. Um, but I always thought that you had to be like really wealthy to travel. And so I was like, well, maybe I can do that later in life. But this book taught me that really the ultimate thing that you need to be able to travel um, coming, you know, of course, coming from a, a country where we have the privilege to travel is to have the time um, because really uh, you can, you know, that was sort of teaching that you could earn a living with your talents and your gifts. Uh, wherever you go. So I decided that I wanted to start traveling and playing music. And I did that by street performing. Um, so, so yeah, that was really like the where all of this started. And at some point in college, um, I started to get interested in meditation and yoga. And so I was also practicing yoga and um, dabbling with meditation. Uh, my brother, uh, started studying Buddhism and decided he wanted to become a Buddhist monk and he sort of followed that path. And, and so we were both kind of interested in these things. And um, so, yeah, so at some point, like the street performing and the yoga and the meditation uh, came together um, when somebody asked me on the street to play music in their yoga class. So, um, so yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't set out to be like, oh, I want to do sound healing or I want to, you know, play play music for yoga. It really came just out of uh, a passion for, for playing music. And because I had that, you know, late start in life with music, I, I didn't feel at the time that I could go and like book gigs. I didn't know how to, I didn't know where to, what to do. And uh, I also didn't feel like worthy of booking a gig, like street performing felt really accessible because people could pay me if they wanted to, or they could just walk on by. So. Yeah, how did, I'm curious about bringing it into the yoga studios, at least for the first time. Do you just kind of um, follow the flow of what was happening in the yoga class? Did you kind of have a plan with the teacher? Or was it more that you were the background accompaniment during a yoga class? What was that like? Was very much following the teacher, but I, you know, at that point I had started to practice yoga a little bit. So I kind of knew a little bit about, you know, the energy. And then, you know, I didn't, the first time I went, I had no clue what to expect. And, um, but I instantly fell in love with it because I always had this little bit of um, um, sort of, a clash with street performing because I like to play really gentle music. I always have. And street performing, you're playing in like this fast paced, sort of busy and chaotic environment. And there's a lot of noise. 
and the hand pan is quiet. And so there was all of these, like these um, compromises being made to play in the street. Like I had to, uh, you know, get a microphone and a speaker because I played really quietly. And so like, then I had all this extra gear I had to carry out into the street, whereas some people that play, especially hand pan players might play a little louder so they can be heard. And, and also, you know, when you're playing, you want to like kind of match the energy of the people you're playing to a little bit. So, um, so yeah, it was, you know, I was finding that I was having to play faster and harder and, and things that I, I didn't really want to do. Um, but then when I played in the yoga studio, it just kind of felt like, ah, this is, you know, this is where I want to play. And um, so, so yeah, I was playing for donations. And then that yoga studio kind of asked me to um, stick around and play more. And so I had that yoga studio and I had one in my hometown that was in the town where I went to college. And so I started playing at those two yoga studios and I was also trading, um, you know, playing music for yoga. Um, so I was practicing more and I just really dove deep into, into my yoga practice and, um, and also, you know, playing music in the yoga space. So I played and it ended up from there, like I would go back and do some street performing tours. And then while I was on the street performing tours, I would book some new yoga studios and then go back and forth. And um, so it, it, it sort of like was the start of um, being able to make a living with my music. and. It was a meager living at first, and and uh, but it was enough. I lived in my van. I had a Volkswagen bus that I bought for 400 bucks, and I lived in it, and uh, I traveled all over the country in it. It was really uh, an amazing time, so, so yeah. Yeah, you know, the hand pan is such a unique and, and really a specialty instrument. And I imagine when you started, there weren't a ton of people aware of it. I, I would say more people are aware of it now. And of course, there's a lot of different makers and, and some ensembles now. But how did you discover the handpan? And what really drew you into that being, you know, your main instrument? Or I, I've seen you play several at once. Like, how did that develop for you? Um, yeah, uh, it was definitely not a very well known known instrument at that time, and um, I had that advantage on my side of you know playing this strange and beautiful instrument for sure. Um, but I discovered it on YouTube. I was watching videos of street performers um, just to get inspiration because I was getting ready to go on my first uh, street performing tour. I was going to play guitar. At that point, I didn't even play didgeridoo um which came before the handpan so i was going to travel around and play guitar and i was interested in looping and, and different things like that and so i was watching videos of street performers and in the little sidebar like a suggested video said like amazing street musician and i clicked on it and it was a guy playing the hung uh you know which is the original handpan for listeners who don't don't know the history of the handpan um and i was just blown away and instantly, um, I was like, that's my instrument. You know, it just was a very visceral feeling. So I set out, you know, to figure out what is the instrument, first of all, because it didn't say anything in the video. And then quickly discovered that, oh, it's almost impossible to get this instrument. Um, I actually had even like put a post, I had two Volkswagen buses at that time. And um, I actually put up a post online that I would like trade one of them for a hung if somebody had one. And uh, so it took me three years to get my first uh, hand pan. I got on a waiting list pretty, pretty immediately for one. I wrote the letter to Panart in Switzerland, you know, and the things that we had to do in those days. And, and uh, so I started off just traveling and playing the guitar and I had a cajon. And, um, then that first summer I got my didgeridoo and so I played guitar and didgeridoo um, early on so but yeah the handpan uh, quickly took over for me so. yeah and just to touch on the handpan 
a little bit more, um, especially for people that uh, haven't experienced one or gotten to play one. Um, it's, you know, it's a really interesting instrument. You've got the rhythmic aspect. It can be quite dynamic, but um, it can also just be almost this waterfall of sound, just a very light, gentle um, touch. And, and, I, and I, I feel that you really have that versatility with it. When I've seen you play, it's almost like you're doing Tai Chi while you're playing it. Um, and it's just such a ebb and flow of sounds. Um, in your experience, it sounds like you played really dynamically with it, maybe as a street performer, but your approach now, and perhaps the music you're creating, um, what feels like the, like the difference, uh, just like learning it and playing it for so many years, what's your particular style do you feel when it comes to approaching the handpan? Um, you know, when, when I started playing handpan, there wasn't, uh, we had no rules because it was very early into the the growth of the handpan and so everybody was writing whatever they were playing and, and discovering at home or wherever they were playing and and so there was nobody teaching techniques and there was nobody you know we were exchanging ideas and and things as as friends at the handpan gatherings and stuff but so i think it just my playing style sort of developed out of coming from the guitar and I was playing a, like tapping and percussive guitar where people would um, tap on the fretboard and you know play percussion on the body of the acoustic guitar so I think some of that you know found its way into the handpan playing and I actually think I started I, I don't really remember for sure but I think I started playing the percussive guitar after I discovered the handpan, but before I could get one. So it was kind of like just this, you know, wanting to use my hands um, in that way, but I couldn't because I couldn't get my hands on one. So I think, yeah, I think it just sort of formed out of, you know, not having a rule to, to follow or uh, techniques and forms and, and things. So when, you know, nowadays when I, talk to people that are interested in playing, you know, I, I try to, while I think it's good to learn techniques and the foundational things, like I try to encourage people to also spend a lot of time just playing and, and having fun and following the sound and seeing where it leads you because we all have, you know, we all have a voice with, with the instrument. And um, so it really just kind of unfolded organically. I, I don't think I ever set out to, to do a certain style it's just kind of a, a reflection of my experience. So. Yeah, I think it's really unique and special that your chosen instrument is like that. I mean, if you think of instruments um, like the violin or guitar or these things that have been around and have an established technique and foundational, um, sometimes people approach it more in a disciplined aspect at first rather than just being curious and like what happens if I just play it so I think it's really cool that that's how it it started for you and developed into your own style because um you were just following the flow and being playful with it and and you know talking to other people and uh, learning with other people so it's just a really cool um aspect of that instrument since it is newer in our uh, musical consciousness, right? Yeah. Well, how about the didgeridoo then? I mean, um, what an amazing combination when you pair the didgeridoo with a handpan, but it sounds like the didgeridoo came first for you. Um, so talk a little bit about that. That's also a specialty instrument, I would say, especially because of the breathing that it, it takes for that. Um, how'd you get into the didgeridoo? So um, the first encounter I had with the didgeridoo uh, I, I we had a I lived a much different life in college and, and we had a party at our house and I woke up one morning and there was a didgeridoo left in the corner <laughs> so uh, I just picked it up and blew in it and I was able to make the drone sound and sort of like filed it into the back of my mind that it'd be fun to learn someday um, probably not long after that I, I discovered the music of Xavier Rudd uh, from Australia, and uh, his music was my favorite for the next couple of years after discovering it. 
so that's where the idea came to like combine the guitar and the didgeridoo um, but then that first summer when I took off from Michigan to go out west and do street performing and um, I had got a job out west also so I was moving from Michigan to Utah and I did my first tour um, just like a little eight-day road trip and I was in Boulder uh, Colorado and I was meeting with a friend for lunch and we were eating uh, in like an outdoor dining space and just heard the sound off in the distance and it was a really cool sound so when we finished our food we followed that sound and and it was two people playing the didgeridoo in the street it was a, a husband and wife uh, which to this day I'm still friends with them every time I go back to Colorado I, I go visit them now they're they're in there if they if they listen I don't want them to get upset if I age them wrong but I'd say mid to late 70s and so they were they were a well-known uh, duo on Pearl Street Mall and in Colorado and Boulder for a while and they invited me to a didgeridoo festival that they were going to later in the summer and so I took the the flyer for that festival and decided that I would go there and that would be where I'd get my first didgeridoo so I made a one out of PVC pipe before that so that I could learn some of the techniques and then um, went to the festival and that's really really where it I was blown away just by talent from all over the world that were playing the jury do and um, so I was hooked. And I know um, I've at least read that you've um, you know traveled to study um, in different places and different cultures. Um, I'm sure it's hard to like pick out what's most influential, but what particular uh, places did you study and what came from that that still you you kind of hold really close to your heart or perhaps use yeah. in your own music? Yeah, I, it actually is not very hard for me to pick out what's the most influential because, um, you know, the core of my like strongest, most dedicated music learning period of my life was living in West Africa. So that's easily the most influential. So I had mentioned that I had a job out West um, and I had moved out West to go work this job. It was a company that my aunt and uncle worked for. And I was doing uh, building like basketball courts um, with these special, it was a special type of court. They're called like sport courts or you could play multiple sports on these plastic tiles and kind of a little niche specialty thing. And I had worked there for like six months and they needed somebody to go do uh, four jobs in Africa. And so it was like a long period of time and everybody else had families and kids and, and they didn't want to go to Africa for an extended period of time. And, you know, I was like this young kid that wanted to travel. So I was like, Africa, I'll go. And so I went from being just like a like low level worker to all of a sudden I was the only person in the company that would go to Africa. And so I had to run a, you know, job sites in, in a couple of different countries. And so I had asked the company, the, the nature of the company was that I would go work for a while and then I'd have free time and then I'd go work because it was uh, sort of gig oriented. We had, you know, a job that lasted two weeks and then I might have two weeks before the next job. So I asked them if they would book my flight so that I had about three months worth of work and I asked them if they would book my tickets for six months. So I had three months to stay there. and. Uh, so they sent me to Africa and I ended up only going to three countries because the fourth one got canceled. But um, when I landed the very first day in West Africa, I met a guitar player and I had my guitar with me. So like my taxi driver took me to this guitar player's house. He was like, you should meet my friend. And, and um, yeah, long story short, like I ended up living with that guy and his family when I finished, um, and actually before I even started the work, I went to stay with him and his family and I hired him uh, to work with me. So we traveled to all these places in West Africa together and he was my, you know, my like right hand 
guy and he helped me to navigate Africa and you know we did the work and then we would get home every night and we would play music together so he like very intensively taught me um, African blues music on the guitar and uh, so so yeah that was you know I spent six months there most of that time with him I spent a month without him uh, studying the Chora, which you can kind of see in the corner there uh, in Gambia. Uh, my, most of my time was with him in Mali. And then we also went to Senegal and I spent some time in Guinea uh, on my own, just a couple of weeks there. And that wasn't really music, that was just work. Um, but then six months later, after I got home, I went back and ended up, there's a long story around that too, but I, I went back and ended up living with his family for like seven and a half months. Um, and studying more music and and that time I had quit the job and so I just was able to focus on just the music when I was there. What an amazing experience and influence and yeah the Cora isn't that the origin of the banjo right there was a a movie yeah, by Bela Fleck about about that right yeah, yeah throw down yeah. your heart yeah, great movie, great documentary. Yeah, yeah. I never the Cora. saw the movie, mm -hmm. but I well, actually maybe I did, um, but I know the music for sure yeah. from the, that documentary. Um, yeah. So yeah, Cora and the Ingoni especially. Yes. Um, there's several right. types of Ingoni, and there's the smaller uh, Ingoni that is the strings are laid out very similarly to how the banjo is laid out. So that whole family of instruments for sure. Okay. Right. Well, yeah, I can see how that'd be so influential and what a a chance and maybe not chance meeting. And that just kind of changed the trajectory of your time there and your musical experience. That's awesome. And and the rhythm, the rhythm of, you know, it's such a d different feel, uh, that yeah, type of music. Sure. So yeah, yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. And you had asked earlier about how, you know, my style and I'm 100% sure that, you know, that time spent learning those African rhythms on my guitar, you know, have come through and into my hands playing on the handpan. I don't think about them in that sense, but I'm sure they're there, the influence. Yeah, I'm sure they are too. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the next chapter is maybe um, perhaps the work you, you do with Nancy um, yeah. and, and how that's developed. So maybe if you want to talk about, you know, the different aspects of your, your work, you have solo album and your solo career. And then um, is it Settle Into Stillness? Is mm -hmm. that right? The work that you do. So maybe you talk about how that's developed. And I know you all do a lot of retreats and traveling, but um, what does that look like, that collaboration? And um, where is where has it taken you? Yeah, so it really is the next chapter because up until now, I was, you know, by myself. And uh, when I got back from that second trip from Africa, I came home with literally like, like coins in my pocket. I was so broke. And so I immediately contacted the yoga studios that I was playing at and started playing in the yoga classes for donations again. And um, it wasn't, I wasn't home for maybe, well, actually, so I had booked a, a return, a round trip ticket out of Africa to come home for a little bit and then to go back to Africa. Uh, and I come home and I was home for like a month and I met Nancy. Uh, so I met her in the local yoga studio that I practiced and played at. And uh, she, I was playing in the class. This, so the first time we met, we didn't really like talk too much. I was playing in the class. She came and talked to me afterwards. I gave her, like I used to hand out like a, four by six photos that I took on my travels that had my website on. That was like my business card. So I gave her one of those and we went on our way. And then she was on a family vacation in Dollywood in Tennessee. It's uh, well, they went to visit some friends and they went to Dollywood and there was a, a hung player there from, from France, uh, David Charrier. I think that's how you say his name. And so she, had seen me and so she started talking to him and was like oh there's somebody that plays this back home and and then she bought his cd 
and when she came back I was playing again and she knew I was going to play so she had made a copy of the CD and brought it to me as a gift and that time we talked a little more and then I I went home and I was like just thinking about her and and uh uh yeah, so I, I asked her on a date after that second meeting. And, you know, we just planned to get like tea by the river and spend an hour together. And we ended up spending like 12 hours together. And then we were uh, from that first date, like planning our travels and our, our life together. And, and so we uh, we went to five months later. It, it wasn't maybe just a couple weeks later that we decided we were going to go to Australia together. Um, for me, it was like the influence of the didgeridoo and wanting to go to there. And then uh, there was this ease of like, you could get these working holiday visas in Australia so you could work and travel. And also there was a culture of um, like people living and traveling in vans in Australia. So it just seemed like a, an easy place for us to go travel. And um, so we bought tickets and five months later, we were on a plane to Australia together, like barely, really looking back, we barely knew each other at that point, you know? And so, so yeah, we spent, um, so she, she traveled on some uh, money that she had saved up from a business that she had started, a pet sitting business and a job that she had. And I traveled with a one-way ticket. Well, we both had one-way tickets, but I had a one-way ticket, uh, $200 in a box of the CDs and my instrument. And so, you know, I had to uh, get there and immediately was gonna start street performing. And so we spent this really amazing uh, time, uh, a year in Australia, and then uh, three months in Southeast Asia with the savings that we had brought from the time in Australia. And, you know, we started to run out of money, so we came home. And uh, yeah, at that point, she had spent 15 months away from her career in uh, as a dental assistant. And, you know, we were at a crossroads, like, did she want to go back into that or, or not? And what was I going to do? And um, so she did go back into dental, but we decided that we wanted to do something together. So we took our yoga teacher training together at the studio that we had met at. And then that way, when we had that, then we could do like yoga and music together. And so we did that and that was, you know, I think that was like a nine month course. And we got out of that and started to do yoga and music workshops together where she was teaching and I was playing. So, okay. Yeah. So, um, and how many years ago was that, that you started the yoga and music? So uh, it was 2013 that we started the training. We finished in 2014. Yeah. So it would have been probably 2014 that we started doing the yoga and music uh, workshops together. So almost 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but before that point, like when we had met, um, you know, I was already playing music in the yoga studios and, and I started to do like these sound journeys um, is what I wanted to call them back then. I didn't want to use the term sound healing. Like I didn't ever look at myself as a healer and I didn't want to use the term sound bath. It just didn't feel like it fit. And I, I did sound journey because my first uh, album was called Journeys and I'd been on all these travels and things. So it was kind of like bringing all these instruments from around the world. And so... So I had started leading those these sound journeys in uh, 2011, and so so when we started doing the um, yoga and music together in 2014, like we we just started calling our workshops these sound journeys. It was kind of an extension of what I had been doing uh, in 2011, and um, yeah, from there it was we had talked about like if she was going to play music or or anything you know if she was going to play instruments and she had dabbled with the violin and flute when she was a kid um so we talked about what the options were but she didn't really play any instruments at that time and uh we were visiting some friends in Arizona um who do 
uh, they've done sound like these sound baths. I don't know what they call their events, but they uh, did these really amazing sound baths in the upper uh, level of their home. They lived in this dome house in the desert. And so they were, they were an older couple. I've been doing them for years. And she was a uh, Crystal Tones singing bowl distributor, and she played singing bowls. And he played all sorts of instruments from around the world. He played the kora, he played the handpan, uh, Native American flute, uh, which is what he was known for, was his Native American style flute playing. And so he would loop everything and she would play the crystal bowls. And at that point, like we finished taking that from them and, and Nancy was like, I wanna play the crystal bowls. Um, she had heard them before, but we hadn't heard anybody play them like really skillfully. And, and when she heard, um, her name is Barbara. When she heard Barbara play, she was, she was hooked. So we got a couple crystal singing bowls from Barbara um, that worked with my hand pans. And so then we started doing like restorative yoga and um, hand pan with crystal singing bowls. And then she, I don't know where Nancy discovered the gong, but you know, she became interested in the gong. And I was interested in the gong from a visit to a place called, uh, I think it was called World of Music in Chicago. They used to have a big gong room. Had you ever been there? Yeah, it's a really cool place. I don't know if they're still there anymore, but yeah. Sadly or not, but that was yeah. my first encounter with the gong. So of course I was really into it when she wanted to, to get a gong. And so we started to look for a secondhand gong because uh, she wasn't sure if she wanted to play. So she figured, well, I don't want to buy a new one and then not want to play. And then if I have to sell it or whatever. And so we were living down in Florida for the winter and uh, one of the gong groups on Facebook, somebody was put one up for sale that lived in Michigan. And so we were like, oh, this is the, this is the one. And we reached out to him and he knew some, uh, we had a mutual friend. And so we bought it sight unseen uh, from Florida. We weren't going to be home for a couple months still. So he had met with our friend and, and our friend kept it in her house for us. And, and then, yeah, so Nancy got that gong and she was pretty hooked from the beginning. She'd still her favorite, favorite gong, uh, that first one that she got. And so yeah, everything just kind of really grew like organically. Yeah, that's really cool. And now, you know, about 10 years later, um, how has it developed? How are, I mean, uh, the field of people incorporating sound and sound journeys and yoga and sound has really boomed and blossomed, obviously, over the past 10 years. Um, why, why do you think it's so needed right now? And, and um, do you feel that what you're doing is evolving with the times and the need of the people coming to you? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, you know, we toured for years and, and kind of felt like we were in an ocean by ourselves. You know, it was, uh, we struggled a lot and, you know, we struggled to, to find places to do what we were doing. And then when we would go there, we struggled to get people to come out and to, to do them. But we, you know, we were really determined. I think me more so, I was very determined and stubborn that I was not going to do anything but music. So, I kept pushing and pushing and pushing us. And, you know, sometimes it was really hard on, on her, you know, she wanted to go have, you know, security. And I was just like, nope, this is what I'm going to do. So, you know, it's like, if you want to come along for the ride with me, then, you know, like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be really stubborn about this. And um, so she, she stuck with it. And, and, you know, we, we just, constantly like strive to make it better like we would learn uh what worked what didn't work uh we got better at playing music together we got better at communicating you know while we're doing these sound journeys and um so you know as as we grew i think like this whole thing was growing too and and uh people were becoming interested in it and we were getting better at what we were doing um, so, 
it kind of hit a point really like around, I don't know, 2017 or 2018 that, um, you know, people started to actually come to our events, you know, and, and uh, you know, I guess bigger groups and, and so I don't know where I'm going with this, but I, I think it was just a constantly like a process of refinement and and then somehow i have no idea how but you know somehow what we were doing also was becoming people were becoming interested in it especially i think you know a lot of things moved from the west coast to the east coast so this was kind of already happening out on the west coast and that's where we are doing a lot of our touring in california and washington and um so you know these things were coming to the east and and you know we had been doing this for years and years and years and um so we had had a network built up and i think it was kind of i, I kind of describe it like we were all these years that we were struggling doing this and persevering and and you know pushing ourselves to just to stay the path and stay the course and do it it prepared us for like uh, there's a wave coming behind us and we didn't know it and then we were able to like catch this wave and, and ride it and so now um you know now we know that this whole thing of, of sound is is becoming really popular and and you asked why is it so needed right now i mean i think you can we can just look at the the state of the world right now there's so much noise and chaos and um uncertainty and and for whatever reason, these instruments just take us to a place that's beyond all, all of that. And for for some time, we can put it aside and, and just be in, inside our body and in ourselves and connect with something beyond us. Um, so yeah, it's, it's I, you know, we, you had asked in, in like the pre, um, pre-interview wording, like about, following the scientific or the intuitive and, and, you know, like we almost, while we, we almost have a hundred percent followed this intuitively, you know, and, and although we're also in the camp that we can't just, we don't like just share information mindlessly that is proven or not proven, you know, we just, we just do the work and we do the sound and we play the sound and, and we just do what we really love. And we don't have a lot of the scientific knowledge of what's going on. And, but we also don't share a lot of the sort of new age uh, things around sound healing that is common talk because we don't know if it's true or not. So, uh, but what we, we have is just the experience of sharing this with thousands of people um, over and over and over again and seeing what it's done. And we're really, really lucky that people have come to share it with us and you know it's been one big experiment so right right and that's beautiful and you know when you're in the flow of offering um other people receive but you do too you know when you're just being intuitive and in the moment and i'm there there's times when you and nancy look at each other and say that was an amazing one and then there's other times you perform and it's it's okay you know it, it went fine but it's it's always a learning experience, even if you may have the same approach and the same instruments in front of you, it's a different experience each time. And the feedback you get is different each time. So it's really kind of an in the moment uh, meditation and, and creation uh, with what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So what does it look like now? What do I, you know, we're, we're post pandemic, uh, mostly I would say, and you guys seem really active again. What, what do things look like now? Um, you know, this last, uh, six months of touring, I, I, I'll back up a little bit because the end of 2019 and, and beginning of 2020, was like the best year we've ever had touring. And we kind of hit a point that we were in our stride and, and we knew, how to like make it all work. And so we were, we were making it work because we had an intention uh, to buy a house at the end of 2020. And 
fortunately we we bought our house at the end of 2019 we didn't expect it but um so we were we had like booked the most you know intense year of touring that we'd ever done and we were on our tour and and every event was selling out and it was just really uh, special and then boom it all had to stop instantly it was like the world was kind of caving in and and the pandemic hit and we had to go home. We canceled 80 events in 2020. And we were really scared because we had just bought a house um, and we bought it from some, from, from some friends of ours. And the way that we had worked out our contract and negotiations is we had split up part of our down payment for before the tour that we paid them. And we were gonna give them the rest of the down payment after the tour. Um, so we were, you know, we were really worried about that, but we, we got home and they called us and they were like, you know, we just want you to know that the house is yours. Like we'll work all this out. And, um, so, so yeah, we had 18 months of no touring. We were home. Uh, we really just dove into connecting with the land here that we live on and gardening and, and everything. And then we started to tour late 2021 again and so it, it's kind of just felt like you know slowly you know the first two or people weren't comfortable to come into this spaces together we didn't even really know like we were always worried if we were going to get catch covid when we were working with groups which we miraculously never did uh, we we got it but not from uh, doing what we're doing <laughs> i went to a car show and i got it so uh, so, but so everything was ramping up, ramping up. And the last six months really feels like we got back to the momentum of where things were in the end of 2019 and 2020, as far as people coming together, sharing these experiences together, um, the excitement of, you know, people wanting to come out and share what we're doing. Um, and then all of a sudden, I think during the pandemic, so many more people uh, discovered sound healing and, and so many more people got instruments, um, spent their time uh, at home during COVID, like learning the gong and crystal singing bowls. And, and so like now, post pandemic, it feels like there's like this community coalescing around all of this, whereas it was there before, but I think it's like really strong now. I think we're really like um, on the verge of having like sound healing festivals and sound you know right now sound healing is a part of a festival you know it's like oh there's a couple artists at the festival and so I, I I'm really excited for what the future holds with with this I think we're we're on the on the verge of a lot of expansion so definitely I, and it's expanding really quickly really rapidly yeah so I'm um... You've released some albums recently, so let us know about your albums and then uh, maybe any projects you're excited about that are, or opportunities coming up. Yeah, okay. So um, in all the early years of touring, I started to uh, collect, I guess, audio equipment, which you can see behind me. <laughs> and with the intention of starting having a studio one day to, to work out of. Um, and so all of a sudden when the, the house came into our life, I had all the equipment and so we had a studio. And so we've been doing a lot of recording since uh, being here and having the house. Uh, we formed an ensemble called the Settle Into Stillness Ensemble. Um, our intention for that is to have a collective of musicians that can come in and do this together. Um, right now we have uh, Nancy, myself, we have our friend Parker who plays the handpan and who's a really talented percussionist. Our friend Jackson, who's a harp player. He's a classically trained harpist since he was eight years old. And our friend Autumn, who plays the violin. And so we've, you know, formed this ensemble and our most recent project that's in the works is uh, our Settle Into Stillness Ensemble album. So we started recording that last year in January. Oh, um, yeah, January 2022. So last year in January, 
And um, now we're in the mixing and editing phase of that. So that's probably the biggest project that we have going on right now, um, as well as we did a live, uh, live recorded video of one of our sound journeys back in March. So that's, and then we had the audio and the video professionally recorded. So that's in the works right now. Um, so later this year for Settle into Stillness, we have a lot of good stuff coming out. Plus, I think um, it's, it's, we're still in the early talking stages of this, but the ensemble album won't have any gong playing or it's more of like compositions and stuff like that. So uh, we just got some, a new gong from Sean Aceto. And so we've you know, been amassing this big gong wall over the years. And um, so I think we're going to make a gong uh, album this year also for Settle into Stillness, just maybe like a half an hour, 40 minutes, um, sort of a gong meditation with all these different gongs that we have. So uh, lots going in with Settle into Stillness. Um, as far as my solo music, I actually have one sitting right here. I just finished this album. It's called Distant Vistas. Um, and this is a really cool, like, exploration with modular synthesis, which I don't know if you can see. Well, you can see this is a modular synth back in the corner here. Um, and the hand pan. So I was creating these ambient soundscapes with um, analog and modular synthesizers and then playing hand pan over it. Um, so that album I released in March. I did my first solo tour since Nancy and I started touring together. So uh, that was really fun for me. And I plan to do some more of those in the fall and um, continue sharing the music from that album. And yeah, there, there's a lot of projects going on. I've recently recorded uh, with some guys from Australia and a guy from Finland. We have a project called Eight Hands of Sound. And that's a, a hand pan album, um, but we all are multi-instrumentalists. So it's it's probably like 30 different instruments, at least on the album where we have hand pan, we have electronic music, we have woodwinds, we have flutes, we have synth uh, pianos, synthesizers, um, world percussion, drum kits. We have uh, guitars. I, I don't know. It's It's a really cool album. Nobody really knows about it. We never really like did a whole lot of advertising or marketing and we were never able, able to tour it uh, because of the pandemic and just because we're from four different places in the world. Um, so that's a really cool album. And honestly, that's probably my favorite piece of recorded music that I've been a part of uh, to this point. And then, yeah, I have uh, a number of solo like handpan only albums. Uh, my most popular album is called uh, Journey's Handpan Solo. Um, and that album has really, uh, really given me the means to build my studio and, and things like that. So yeah, lots of, lots of recorded music. Awesome. Well, it's really cool kind of hearing your story in that way from street busking and trying to make it happen to just all these opportunities and where they take you and who you get to collaborate with just by kind of following your your drive your intuition and creativity at um at least from an outside perspective it um sounds like you've really got to where you always hoped and maybe even better than you imagined so it's pretty cool yeah definitely better than i i imagined for sure yeah yeah it's, so any, uh, yeah. Go well, I was just going to say, it's just been, you know, it's really been a, just a journey of, of following, you know, what things that I was passionate about and then what things Nancy and I were passionate about and sharing those things that we're passionate about. You had asked about the retreats earlier. So, you know, that became, you know, just out of people were saying, you know, oh, I wish I could travel like that, or I wish I could, you know, be there with you guys. And it, it just kind of grew out of, well, okay, let's make it possible that you can travel with us and, and be with us. And, um, you know, sharing, you know, we go to these places and really dive deep into the culture and, and try to share um, something that's, you know, a little deeper uh, for somebody else when they come, you know, somebody might only get a, a week or two off 
from their job in a year so they don't have the time to dive three months into a culture and so we kind of shared the little bits and pieces that we've taken along the way yeah it's it's been just following passion and following sound and yeah yeah that's awesome and it's not always an easy road i'm sure but uh you learn so much from the challenges and you know traveling is not always a luxury there's a lot of things that can make you uncomfortable but being able to adapt to situations it's all you know it's all part of uh just growing and, and learning and and um yeah riding the waves of all the adventures. So yeah, it's really cool. So any um, kind of last things that you want to share with the, the audience about yourself or, or just any, how to kind of follow what's coming up for you? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that Nancy and I want for people is, is to, for people to understand that they can like live a life from following their heart and and living following their dreams and we really hope that what we do inspires others to do that too because um you know the life that we've built in our building is is from following our hearts and we've had people inspire us that uh, we wouldn't be where we are today if they hadn't inspired us to do these things and and you know we have people come to us that are inspired by what we do and they've follow their own journey and that doesn't mean you know for it's not just for people that want to play music or want to have sound it's for anything in life we all have these gifts that we're given in life and I think if we tune into ourselves and find our gifts find the things we're passionate about um, and then own those skills and, and follow those passions and then begin to share those passions like it'll it'll work out I don't know what magic makes it work out, but it works out. And it's been, you know, you said about us, you know, a struggle. It, it's it's always the challenge. There's always the discomfort. There's always struggle, but you get you get more comfortable with the discomfort. You get to where you can live with it and live with the uncertainty and and you know, like Nancy and I, we we don't we've not had you know, like a, a financial backing for this. It's just been us doing this. We're independent. It's been very grassroots. And um, so it's just been born out of a, a desire to like make it work and keep working at it. And, you know, if you're going to work 40 or 60 hours for somebody else, like what can you do if you put that time into what you love to do? And uh, you can really go do a lot with that. Yeah, that's beautifully said and a, a really wonderful message that when you know what your path is and you can step fully onto it, um, it is amazing the the miracles that happen, you know, just to help clear the way for you um, and, and all the, the ups and downs in between, but um, putting your heart fully into it, you know, not, nothing will stop you. Yeah. And it's, just a beautiful, beautiful way to lead uh, your life. So yeah, thank you so much for, for saying that. And that's a wonderful way to, to leave. I think uh, learning more about you and, and how you've gotten to where you are. So thank you so much for, for joining us for this, this podcast, this episode, and it's been really great to learn more about you and uh, your journey. So thanks so much, Jeremy. Welcome. Thanks for having me on the Sounds Heal podcast, and yeah. thanks for creating this space for for artists and and you know gong makers and yeah um, yeah musicians and everything to, to just share their journey and it's it's really a, a blessing. So yeah, it's a blessing to me too. It's inspiring to me as well, just to um, have all these different perspectives. So thank you. Thanks for saying that. I appreciate it. You're welcome.